We're going to be passing out a little uh, worksheet of scriptures uh, as we go through our study time this morning. going to be focusing on the general idea of truth, truth, and as we pass out these papers, I'm going to go ahead and read to you from 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. This is uh, one of the scriptures on your paper, but this is a good one to uh, begin with in addition to what's already been read. Appreciate Brother Wendell earlier before Bible class reading from 1 Peter chapter 1 concerning the truth of God. To add to that, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 beginning in verse 10. And with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore God, therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Uh, two or three questions before we get to our sheet together. <clears throat> First question is, where does truth come from? And right away we know it comes from heaven. It comes from heaven. A thought comes to us from Jesus or about Jesus in John 1, 17 and 18. Where it says, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. So truth comes from heaven, from heaven. Brian, I'm going to need one. <clears throat> I appreciate that very much. Now, the question comes to my mind, how do we in just a short time express how important truth is? We just have to do our best. But truth is hugely important. How do we express how important it is? Okay, we could put the word truth on the monitor and just put it in cap capital letters or put it in bright letters. But we almost feel just incompetent to say just how important truth really is. And how do we exchange these ideas in such a short uh, time? How do we express the times in which we live? How do we express the times in which we live where there are so many different attacks upon the truth and they're everywhere. 
One scripture might help us in Romans 1, verse 25. Romans 1, 25 describes our times about as well as anything. In Paul's day, he comments on his times. He says they, they, exchange, they exchange the truth of God for a lie. And they worshiped, worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. And that's a good description of what's happening today as well. They, they exchange the truth of God for a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than uh, the creator. And so our focus this morning is how can the truth empower us? What benefits does the truth bring to our lives? And so let's go over this sheet uh, together. The first set of scriptures, the ideal is this. The truth, okay, you ready? The truth leads to family. The truth leads to family. Truth in general. How can you have family? How can you have community? How can you have friends? How can you have business? How can you have school? How can you have church unless you have truth? Right? We're, always, we're always making promises and keeping those promises because we assume everybody's going to be truthful with us. We assume that especially of our friends and our family members that that what we say, what they say, they're going to keep. They're going to keep that promise. Their word is their bond. We can't survive without that, can we? We can't survive just day-to-day, family-living, business-living, school-living, friends-living, jobs. We can't survive without truth because we assume the other person is telling us the truth. We assume they, they're trustworthy. We will be there at 1 o'clock. We will meet at 1 o'clock. We will eat at 5 o'clock. We will go see so-and-so. We will get this job done in this block of time. And we assume that the truth is being told, and so that makes us trustworthy, and that makes things work. In Ephesians chapter 5, or rather 4, verse 25, here on your sheet, Ephesians 4, verse 25, you see that? Put away falsehood, Paul says. Put away falsehood and speak truth with your neighbor. For we are members of one of another. There was an incident that happened in Jesus' life. There was a lady who had an issue of blood, and this is from uh, Mark 5 and 33. She had an issue of blood, and there's a great crowd around Jesus, and, and she said to herself, If I can just get close enough to Jesus to touch his garment, perhaps I'll be made whole at that time. I can be healed. And she did that and she was healed. But Jesus stopped and he said, who touched me? His disciples said, Lord, everybody's around you touching you. But no, one lady had done it by faith. And finally the lady came forth and she was fearful and trembling And she fell down before him and she told him the whole truth. In other words, she told him all that was on her mind and why she had done what she had done. Just to be family, just to be together, we must have truth. 
but especially in family is truth important, right? It, family begins with truth. Family begins with truth telling. Go, go back, those of us who are married and been married, go back to your wedding day. Okay, what's the main thing on the wedding day? It's those vows you're going to, that you did exchange. Okay, do you take this woman, do you take this man to be your lawfully wedded husband, wife? Okay, do you take him uh, for, in sickness and in health till death do you part? See, family begins with truth telling. Did you keep your word? Are you keeping your word? Will you keep your word? That's, that's why we're gathered there on the wedding day, to hear those words. We want to hear those words because we assume you mean those words. Okay. Your family depends on you keeping that word. And the dad of that family, it said to dads in Ephesians 6 verse 4, to bring up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So a dad gives his word to his family that he will provide for them both physically and spiritually. So it's all about keeping your word. I have said I will do this. Will I do this? You see, truth leads to family. And this is also hugely important in the church family. In the church family. When we come to Jesus and surrender our lives to Him, we're baptized for forgiveness of sins, then He adds us to His body, the church, which is His family. Okay. And our commitment to that family is huge in the sight of God. When do we make that promise to God? When do we make that promise to God? When do I make my promise, my pledge to God, okay? When you make the good confession, 1 Timothy 6, verse 12, Paul mentions the good confession, okay? Made in the, many, in the front of many witnesses, okay? The good confession. When you, make, when you confess that you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that is you, that is me, we are pledging ourselves to be faithful and loyal to Christ and His body and His church from that point onward. Okay. It's all about, will I keep my word? You see, truth leads to family. All right. Our second group of scriptures uh, this morning carries the idea that truth leads to confession. Confession. Truth leads to Confession. Confession. I was able to dabble into some religious writings of several hundred years ago, and I found this guy who, who talked about confessing sin or acknowledging sin. He says it's a very rare form of, of examination. It's a very rare form of humility, he says. Okay, honesty. That's how he said it. It's a very rare form of honesty. And then he went on to say this. He says, this is when a person actually goes on record against themselves. When we acknowledge our sin before God, we go on record against ourselves. 
Actually, what we're doing is we're just agreeing with God. That's what the word confess means in the Bible. It means that you are speaking the same thing as God. God says, I have sinned. Okay, I agree with that, Lord. I've sinned in your word, and I'm going to confess it as well. 1 John 1, verses 8 and 9. Notice that. 1 John 1, verses 8 and 9, where the writer writes, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and what? And the truth is not in us. The truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, then he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, truth leads to confession. Now, a very interesting example brought up here, Matthew chapter 3, around verse 7. John the Baptist is out doing his preparatory work for Jesus, and he's out, and people are coming to John. John is at the River Jordan, okay, and people are coming to him from all Jerusalem and Judea. They're coming out to him, and they're being baptized of him, and they are confessing their sins. They're acknowledging their sins as they come, and they're baptized for him, baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. Now, verse 7, Matthew 3, here comes the Pharisees and Sadducees. And John saw them coming. He says, you brood of vipers, you bunch of snakes. Wouldn't you love to have John the Baptist preaching before you today? I mean, don't you want somebody to stand up here and call you a bunch of snakes? You brood of vipers, you bunch of snakes. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, he says. Then he says, bring forth fruit worthy of repentance. And don't think to say within yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say unto you that God is able these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. So what's being done here? Okay, we have a group coming out of Jerusalem and they are acknowledging their sins before God. They're humbling themselves. Okay, and they're ready to come to John to be baptized in view of the fact that the Messiah will be coming. That's one group. But then you've got these Pharisees and Sadducees. Okay. They're not coming to confess their sins. That's why John's so rough on them. Okay. They're not coming to repent. That's why John says, bring forth fruit worthy of repentance. They're not coming to repent. John says to them, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? The Pharisees, they don't see any wrath coming upon them because they don't think they've got any sins. Okay. So John's asking them questions, these questions and he's bringing this statement before them. Okay. Why are they coming to John to be baptized? Well, these are religious people and they saw that a lot of people were coming out to, to hear John preach and so they wanted to add an association with John to their resume. That's what they're doing. They're not coming because of, of the cross coming up. They're not coming because of sin. They're not coming because of guilt. They're just coming to be associated with other religious people, and there seems to be something going on there, and so they want to be part of that. You see, truth leads to true confession, a true acknowledgement of sin. It's very important why we come to Jesus. In John 12 and 32, Jesus himself says, if I be lifted up, what's he talking about there? Talking about the cross. 
If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Not every single person, but all men who are of a good and honest heart, all men who feel this guilt, who know this guilt within them, those will be the ones that will be drawn to me. It's very important why we are drawn and how we are drawn to Jesus. It's important because what Jesus says in Matthew 13 and 20 and 21 I believe that verse, yeah, that verse is on here. Matthew 13, 20 and 21. He's talking about the parable of the sower and the, the word of God is the seed and the seed gets sown on rocky ground and the seed gets sown and, but, but because it's rocky, there's no root in what is growing and so that's what happens to people. They, they have a rocky heart. They're not really coming because of sin and guilt. Okay? They're not coming because of the cross. They're coming because of some association here or there. There's no root in them. And then when the storms come, when the tribulations come, when the persecutions come, okay, this commitment, so-called, that they have made doesn't endure and they're swept away. Very important in our children. It's very important in our youth that we understand with them why we come to Jesus. Because someday some professor is going to come along, some smart person on the, on the internet is going to come along and start trying to create doubt in our young person's heart. And they need to have roots that go deep uh, into the cross. Or even among us, when crisis comes, you know, death is going to come. Tragedy is going to come. Accidents are going to come. It's going to happen. Where will we be? Well, it's all a matter of how we come to Christ. If we come out of sincere, deep down guilt about sin and what the Lord has done for us and all that is involved in the cross, then it'll stay with us. Not that it won't hurt, but it'll stick with us. Third set of passages here, and we'll go through these fast. But... The third ideal here is that truth leads to salvation. Truth leads to uh, salvation. And we'll just notice what each of these verses say about getting to the point of salvation. Okay. So looking with me here on number three. 1 Timothy 2, 4 says it's important to know the truth. You've got to know the truth to be saved. It says there in 1 Timothy 2 and verse 4, that God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. But it's not just, it's just not knowing a few facts. It's allowing what God says to influence our lives. Okay. So we've got to know the truth. 2 Timothy 2.15 says we've got to rightly divide the word of truth. And so we've got to know the truth from the word of truth. And then as we read earlier from 2 Thessalonians 2.10-12, through 12, Paul says we've got to love the truth and we've got to believe the truth. And so for salvation to come to us, we've got to know the truth from the word of truth and we've got to love the truth and then believe the truth. And then as Brother Wendell read for us from 1 Peter 1, 22 this morning, we've got to obey the truth. Seeing then that you have purified your souls in your obedience to the truth unto the unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. So we got to love the truth. Paul says the same thing in Galatians 5, verse 7. 
He said, you were running so well, you were doing so great. Who did hinder you from obeying the truth? See, obedience to the truth is so important. Romans 2, 8 and 9 speaks of obeying the truth as well. 1 John 1, verse 6 says, uh, if we say we have fellowship with God, and yet we walk in darkness, we lie to ourselves and do not the truth. We don't practice the truth. See how important obedience is? Read that again, 1 John 1 and verse 6. Okay. If we say we have fellowship with God, who is light, L-I-G-H-T, and yet if we walk in darkness, not obeying the truth, then we're lying to ourselves and we do not practice, we, not, we do not do uh, the truth. You see that? And so knowing the truth, loving the truth, believing the truth, and obeying the truth are all very important in uh, being saved from our sins. Going further here on, on our list, 2 Peter 1.12 talks about being established in the truth. So once we're baptized into Christ, that's, that's just the beginning. We grow in knowledge uh, of the truth. 2 John 2 verse 4, 2 John 3 verse 4 talks about how John rejoiced that his children were walking in the truth. You see, we come to God, we're baptized into Christ, but we keep walking in the truth. We are established in the truth. And we get to the point, according to Ephesians 4, verse 15, where we can speak the truth in love. Okay. And the end result of this is, according to John 8, 32, Jesus said, you shall know the truth. The truth shall make you free. 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 Mainly free from sin. Free from sin. We've made this connection a hundred times, but it's so good. It's so good. John 8, 32, Jesus said, you shall know the truth. The truth shall make you free. That is very well connected to Romans 6, 17. Romans 6, 17, where Paul says... God be thanked that whereas you were the servants of sin, you have obeyed from the heart that form of teaching that was delivered to you. Being then made free from sin, you have become the servants of righteousness. And so it's a beautiful thought. And so these passages teach us that the truth, God's truth, leads to uh, salvation. Think about truth and freedom. And think about freedom in two ways. God will make us free from certain things, but he also makes us free for certain things. Okay. Freedom from and freedom for. The truth makes us free from sin and all that is false. But then, once we come to Christ, he gives us the freedom to be like him. Okay. Like Mark 1, 16 and 17 Put it on this, I think it, yeah, it's here. Jesus said to his disciples, who he was making disciples, these fishermen, he says, come and I will make you to become fishers of men, just like the Lord, fishers of men. Galatians 5.13 says, you know, you've been made free, but don't use your freedom for an occasion to the flesh. That's what happens to us. We come to Christ, we look at the truth, we believe the truth, we love the truth, and then we start using our freedom for the flesh for our own desires. And God says, don't do that. Okay? Freedom from sin, but freedom 
to be. Okay. Freedom from sin, but freedom to be. Freedom to be like Christ. And to, and to discover what the true purpose of living uh, really is. Okay. Fourth set of passages here. Think of these passages like this. Truth leads to worship. True worship. Number four. Truth leads to worship. True worship. We, we know what we teach here and we know what we should teach about how we worship in spirit and in truth. And John 17, 17 says God's word is truth. And so we take God's word and we worship according to what it says. But I want us to go a little bit further than that. And think of it this way. When we stay with the truth, then we're paying tribute to who God is. And it's a thought that we ought to stand on and, and, and think about. When we stay with the truth, when we love the truth, do the truth, and worship according to the truth, then we're paying honor to all that God is. God is truth. Okay. God speaks truth, and all this done perfectly. And He acts truly, faithfully. When we are with the truth, then we're paying tribute to the one who is the truth. That's how we honor him. How else would we honor him? Except by uh, the truth. And so I've got some passages down here. Psalm 31, 5 speaks of God being a God of truth, as does Isaiah 65, 16. God is a God of truth. Titus 1 verse 2 says God cannot lie. God cannot lie. It's impossible for him to, to lie to, or to present a falsehood. John 14 6 Jesus plainly says I am the way the truth, the life. John 18 37 Jesus said to Pilate whoever hears my voice is of the truth or whoever wants to be part of the truth will want to hear uh, wants to hear my voice. And you remember Jesus' words in Matthew 15, verse 7, 8, and 9, he says, In vain do you worship me, teaching as your doctrines the commandments of men. Okay. Now think about what we just said. Staying with the truth pays honor, renders honor to God who is the God of truth. To notice what Jesus said. He said, now, to teach as your doctrines and commandments of men is to worship in vain. Why? Because God's a God of truth and faithfulness. We become like what we worship, right? As Brother Wendell was reading from 1 Peter 1 earlier this morning, 1 Peter 1, 13, 14, and 15, be ye holy because I am holy. God is holy, so we seek to be holy. Okay. Jesus often said, as, as I have loved you, so you love one another. God is love, and so we seek to love. Now, God is truth, and so we stick with the truth. That's how it works. We worship the one 
that we want to be like, we become like what we seek to worship. Notice a little verse there, Psalm 31, verse 5. I can't help but say this. Okay. This is, this is going a little off, but it's such a great verse. This is the verse that Jesus quoted while he was on the cross. Psalm 31, verse 5. Into your hands, Lord, I commit my spirit. But back in the Psalms, the verse goes a little bit further and says, O Lord, you are my redeemer. O God of truth, you are my redeemer. Now Jesus, he doesn't quote that part because he doesn't need to be redeemed of his sins. Okay. But he quotes the part where he's about to die. The Lord is. He says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. But the reason Jesus had such confidence there right there at death is because God is a God of truth. He knew that his father would raise him from the dead. He knew that he had a home with his father in heaven. He was going back to the right hand of God. He was going to the right hand of God. He was going back home to be with his father. So we can have the same confidence. That's the exciting part. We can have the same confidence. Okay? We can stand at death's door and say, Lord, into your hands I commit my spirit because you are my redeemer, O Lord, the God of truth, the God that cannot lie, the God that is completely, perfectly faithful. Lord, I can state my soul, my eternity on you. Number five, truth leads to humility. Truth leads to humility. I want to say it like this, though. Go on to say that without truth, there's only power and manipulation. Okay, that's the idea here. Truth does lead to humility, but if you don't have truth, all you've got is power-seeking and manipulation. Now just notice the world around us. Notice the world around us. Those who are not interested in the truth, what are they doing? They're seeking power. They're playing games. They're using leverage. They're using deception. Whatever they can do to gain the next step of power. But the truth leads us to humility. But think of some examples of this. And I put down here Luke 23, 34, when Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's so true. Those who were crucifying Jesus, they had no clue what they were doing. In other words, they were ignorant of the truth. So they crucified the Lord. They didn't have the truth, so they resorted to power, plays, and manipulation and leverage, and deception, and anything they could do just to get rid of Jesus. See, where there's no truth, there's only power. Think about this example in Galatians 2 of Peter. Peter had not yet wholly swallowed the idea that the gospel is for all. Peter, it's for all. It took him a while to learn this. So in Galatians 2, Peter is still playing games, he would eat with the Gentiles, but when certain of the Jewish brethren would come around, he would quickly disassociate himself away from 
the Gentile brethren told to hang out with the Jewish brethren. Paul withstood him. Paul said, Peter, you stand condemned. You're not walking uprightly according to the truth of the gospel. Okay. You see, that's what happens. When truth is not present, there's only power. There's, there's only games. There's, there's only deception. Okay. There's only maneuvering. There's only manipulation. Do you see that in yourself? Do you see that when you are not around the Word of God, then you resort to these kinds of things, these kinds of worldly maneuvers? This other example I want to bring out from, from John 12 and Matthew 26. We mentioned it all summer long, and I was such a nut, such a, a dumb nut is what I was. I mean, I taught this all summer long and really did not really get the thing I'm about to say to you now. Okay? Sometimes it just takes several months for something to get into my brain. Okay? So there in John 12, Mary comes in to to anoint Jesus and to wash his feet with her tears. Okay. And Judas and the disciples are there and she brings in this very expensive, expensive ointment. You remember that? Now, hold on to that thought. And you remember what happens. Judas is going to complain. The other disciples begin to complain. Hold on to that. You can look it up yourself how that being a bully at school being a bully at school, being a bully at even at workplace, if that kind of ideal has grown in, in an abundant way since a lot of us were little. We, we, we remember the bullies, and, but now that has grown way out of proportion to if you're not involved in that day to day, you don't really understand it. But it's a real issue in life. Now, go back to John 12 a minute. Here we are. Mary comes in. She's got this very expensive ointment. And she anoints Jesus. And then Judas speaks up and says, this could have been sold and given, and the price of it given to the poor. Well, you've got some bully, bullying going on here. Okay. The bully, there's, there's always three people. You've got the bully. You've got the one being bullied. And then you've got the bystander. Okay. The bully here is Judas. The one being bullied is Mary. And then you've got the bystander. You ever been the bystander? Jesus is the bystander here. Does he just let it go? Does he just remain silent? No, he says, you leave her alone. For she is preparing me for my burial. Okay, when you put John 12 and Matthew 26 together, that's what he says. She's in other words, Mary knew quite well what was about to happen to Jesus. She knew the mission of Jesus. Anybody else could have known if they just look at the scripture. But Mary knew. She knew. But now, those of us who have the truth... If we are a bystander, we need to be like the Lord. Don't just stand there. Don't just laugh at it. Don't just let it go. And there's a lot of this kind of thing that happens, both in a very serious way, but even among brethren, even among just regular people, 
Somebody will be talking about somebody. You know that's not true. And yet you just let it go because it would be uncomfortable for you to say anything. That's not what Jesus did. He wasn't the silent bystander. You see, truth leads to true humility. But without truth, there's only power and manipulation and bullies. Bullies. Quickly, number six, truth leads to purity. Purity. We'll just mention this. You know, 2 Corinthians 5.10 talks about judgment day. When it comes to our behavior, one of the psychological things that is done, in fact, former President Bill Clinton uh, did an interview where he was very candid about some of his uh, faults. And he said he would do this. What, what some do is they will section off their life. They, they will take their bad behavior and put that in a box and say, okay, I did that, but I'm going to close up that box and I'm going to pretend like that never happened. Then they go into other parts of life and and they pretend like that in the box is not even there. Okay, it never happened. And so you go on, you, you're able to do these other things and these other things, and so you just section your, your life off. You, you divide your life off into compartments, and, and so you allow yourself to be holy on one day, but not so holy on the next. And, and then you think, well, that's okay. But God says, when judgment day comes, we all, we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. To receive the things done where? In the body. In the time that you have, the body you have, with the time you have on earth, we're going to be judged on what all has done, been done in that body you have with your time on earth. Okay. Solomon says at the end of his book, Ecclesiastes, he said, God will bring every deed into judgment, even the secret thing whether it's good or whether it's bad. And so truth leads, um, leads us to purity and then finally truth leads us to the greatest quality that a person could ever have. Okay. We were able to have a good discussion in our youth class this morning about worship. Brother Ken was leading us in that discussion and One of the main parts about worship, but it's also a main part about life, is that you pant after God. Or you, as we mentioned here, you love the truth. The greatest quality, the greatest quality a person could ever have in his or her life, and this truth leads you to this, is a love of the truth. A love of the truth. And I, I say that without even hesitating whatsoever. I have, I have no qualms saying it. It is the greatest quality. It is the most important quality that a person can have in his or her life is a thirst, a love uh, for the truth. And that's why these passages are put down here on number seven. Okay, let me just bring out a couple of them. Psalm 119, 127. Psalm 119, 127. The writer says this. He says, Lord, I love your commandments more than gold, Yes, more than fine gold. I love your commandments more than gold. Yes, more than fine 
gold. I'm not sure all that he's saying there, but probably something like this. Lord, I love your word more than a million dollars. Yes, more than a billion dollars. There's nothing more valuable to your word, your commandments. Psalm 119, 127. Right there it is. John 7, 17, Jesus said, If any man wills to do my will, he shall know. He shall know. The, word, the first word will there means when, when, when something seizes your mind, that, that your mind is seized with something. And we've all been there. Okay? Maybe you have that habit. When something gets on your mind, you just can't get it off your mind. That's the word there, will, in John 7, 17. If any man seizes with his mind the will of God, then he'll be able to know. You see why that is such a huge quality uh, in a person's life. And you see here why the truth is so important. Do you see here that it's hard to get, in this amount of time, it's hard to get it all expressed, but hopefully, looking at these seven statements can help us see the importance of truth. Let me just go over them with you one more time. Okay, Truth leads to family. Truth leads to confession of sin, acknowledgement of sin. Truth leads to salvation, and that's a lifelong quest. Truth leads to true worship because God is a God of truth. Truth leads to humility because without truth there's only power and manipulation. Truth leads to purity because God is the judge. And truth leads us to the greatest quality one could ever have and that is a sincere love of the truth. The truth. There are many benefits, and that's just one way of saying it. How great is the truth? The truth is from heaven. We must have it in our lives. Let's stand and sing, and if there's any spiritual needs you have, please make that known right now as we stand and sing.